All right, here we are with Megan and Albert. You guys ready for this? We're ready. I All think. right. Let's go. Let's go. Now, we got three Thanks. rules for you, okay? The first rule is this. And rule- hold on. I don't like rules. <laughs> no. So all right, all right, all right, all right. Listen, I'm the ref here, okay? Okay, all okay right. my bad. Stay right, in my lane. Where'd you get his flag? All right, listen, here's hey. the rules. Okay. All right, number one, for each scripture reference, you'll score a point. Are you with me on that? Okay. Yes. It's going to be important. So you both brought your Bibles. We're going to be good. Yes, I remembered it this time. <laughs> Last That's time important. Was crazy. Yeah. The second one is each rhetorical question. So if you look at the camera and you say, hey, can I get an amen? Mm. That's a rhetorical question. You're going to get a point for that. All right. All right? Because you, you can't preach without rhetorical questions. No, all right? Okay. And Especially then, Megan. <laughs> and then number three is you have to stay within your allotted time. If you stay within your allotted time, That's you will score a point. So oh. stay within your allotted time, Albert. You win. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Game on. I used to teach health at a Christian university, but I love that I didn't have to focus just on the physical aspect. We got to talk about spiritual, emotional, physical, social, intellectual. I can't even remember. I was so excited about teaching health because all of it matters. I mean, you can look good in spandex, but not have any friends. Would you call yourself healthy? Health matters. And there's something about health where we don't appreciate it until it's gone which is why I loved a proactive approach to health. That's why I love this as a topic. So I remember teaching, be a good friend. Stop waiting for someone to be a good friend to you. Mm. I, I love teaching that emotions aren't something to just overcome. There's something to be learned from. Or I, I wanted us to appreciate everything that we had. So sometimes I removed desks so students would appreciate sitting. Mm. Sometimes I had them put paper bags on their head for the entire class. They hated that one. I didn't mind Uh, because I wanted them to appreciate their eyes. See, because we don't appreciate our health until it's gone. But why, why does our health matter? In fact, of all the classes I did, and I had a lot of fun teaching that class, but my favorite one was when we got to the point of saying, why, why does our health matter? Why does our body matter? Yes. Corinthians talks about our body being a temple. Yes, it's God's temple. It's the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Yes, it matters. But the moment that I really got everyone to lean in was the moment that I leaned in myself when I would read this verse in Acts chapter one, verse one. To know and understand it, we have to know a little context. Luke wrote the book of Acts after he wrote the book of Luke. It's like two volumes, but really one book telling the story of Jesus. So in the book of Luke, he writes about Jesus's life, his death, well, birth, life, death, resurrection. And then you get to the book of Acts where Luke writes about Jesus's ascension, Mm. the Holy Spirit, and then the church That's the context of this verse is the very beginning of the book of Acts where Luke writes in my former book, the book of Luke. Thank you, sir. Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus next word. I have underlined began Hmm. to do. I wrote about, so in my former book, I wrote about what Jesus began to do. Thus assuming that the book he's writing, the book of Acts, the church era is what Jesus is continuing to do. Yes. So if his former book was what he began to do, and this book is what he's continuing to do, we would be confused that in the first chapter, Jesus ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, which is where he's sitting at today. That would be confusing, right? It would be, except if you keep reading, you get to Acts chapter two, where God descends by the power of his Holy Spirit to dwell within those who believe. Mm. So why does this verse matter for our health and our bodies? Because 
His former book was what Jesus began. This book is what he's continuing to do, except this time what Jesus himself is continuing to do is whatever he's continuing to do through you and his spirit dwelling within you. Did you catch it, church? The book of Acts is what Jesus is continuing to do through the church, which means what you do today matters. I don't know who told you that you didn't. I don't know when you started to believe that the little chores you do don't matter, that your job doesn't matter. I don't know who told you that, but hear me. It matters. Your health matters because what you do with your body is what Christ's body is doing. His church is doing in the world. Mm. What is God up to? What is Jesus up to in your workplace? Good question. I could very easily ask, what are you up to in your workplace? Because what you're up to is what Jesus is up to by the power of his Holy Spirit dwelling within you. What is Jesus up to in your home? Good. What are you up to in your home? Because what you're up to is what Jesus is doing in your home. What's Jesus doing in your neighborhood? Good. What are you doing in your neighborhood? Because what you're doing is what Jesus is doing in your neighborhood. Teresa of Avila put it beautifully in this poem when she writes, Christ has no body now, but yours. Hmm. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. You want to know how he communicates his compassion through your eyes? Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. Mm. Why does your health matter? Why does your body matter? Because your body is Christ's body. Your life is found in his, and now his is found in you. Church, it's time to take hold of our health and thank God he's taken hold of us too. Well, first, I just want to give a high five to my girl, my teammate, for killing it. Way to go. She did that. I mean, that was so, (laughs) she was was great, man. It was great. Um, Just want to get this, get this situated. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to go. Uh, Luke chapter 18. um, As I started, when I, when I think about, (laughs) thinking about our topic for this quarter, um, my mind goes back to Thursday nights when I was growing up, a little boy in Mississippi, Thursday nights, y'all. It was like the TV spot. Like you would just sit down and that, that was back in the day when, you know, you had to watch TV in real time and commercials and all. Uh, Thursday night was the lineup. You had cheers, you know. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. But I, I, that's, a, that's all I could watch of cheers because my parents would then make me go to bed because we lived in holiness and we could not watch a show about a bar. Uh, but before that, the Cosby show was king, Cosby show. And I'm reminded of an episode when uh, Vanessa Huxtable comes home and she got in a fight at school because her friends were making fun of her because they were wealthy. Her parents bought this big painting that was really expensive and she went and told her friends about it and they started calling her rich girl, rich girl. So there she is. She's complaining to Cliff and Claire Huxtable and she's talking about, I got beat up because because we're rich. And and she's frustrated at Bill because they're rich. And, and, and Cliff Huxable said, he said, uh, first of all, Vanessa, 
you ain't rich. We are rich. Your parents are rich, but you not rich. You don't have a problem. Uh, it's not your money, Vanessa. As I look at our theme and our point, I think the first thing, if we're going to ever get back in the game with our finances, the first reality check we got to have is one of a heavenly father reminding us lovingly and graciously, it's not your money. It's not yours. Your father is rich and you have been entrusted with these treasures, with these resources. Some of us got more than enough. Some of us wish we had more. Some of us are counting the mail, waiting on the stimulus check to come in. Regardless of what status you are with what you have, you've got to look at it as God's. Because if you look at it as yours and belonging to you, you will miss every other instruction he's going to give you. Because he's going to tell you to do stuff with that money that you would never do. He's going to tell you to make decisions about that money that you would never do because if it's mine, then I want it to be mine. But if it's his and we're entrusted with it, we hold it so that we might watch this, be generous with it, but that we should also open up our hands so that we can have capacity to receive it. The problem is when you approach it like this, yeah, ain't nothing going out, but also there's nothing going in. Here's a rhetorical question for you. Are you holding it or are your hands open? Here's another rhetorical question for you. Is it God's or is it yours? Here's another rhetorical question for you. That's three in 30 seconds. That's impressive. God is saying, if you don't trust me with, if you can trust me with your life, but you don't trust me with your resources, then you don't trust me with your life. If you can trust me with your life, but don't trust me with your resources, then you don't trust me with your life. In Luke 18, um, around verse 22, 23, there's a story there about the rich young ruler He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He has influence, he has money, he has youth. He's got it going on, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, in short, what must I do to fully inherit the kingdom of God? What, what do I need to do? Give me the instructions. How do I go, and as Megan talked about, how do I go and live it out? How do I, how do I go and continue the story of Jesus? How do I go and be? To be honest, it's one of the saddest moments in Scripture. Because what happens in this story is devastating. People think every story has a happy ending in the Bible. It's not true. This is a devastating ending. Jesus says, you really want to know? Sell all you have. Give it away to the poor. And come and follow me. The man drops his head. Because he had great wealth. And he walks away with his stuff. And in order for him to walk away with his stuff, he walked away from Jesus. Let's start this season off getting our finances together. Let's get back in the game. Let's acknowledge that it's God's. Let's save. Let's give generously. And let's steward well what God has entrusted in your hands. If you're going to give him your life. 
that means you got to give him your resources too. Well, what a great Game On series recap. So one of my top takeaways from Albert's message was, it's not your money, Vanessa. It's not your money, Lauren. I'm like, hello. Um, it's just a great reminder that my resources, my finances are just were never mine from the beginning. They were always the Lord. So that was great for me to be reminded of. You know, Lauren, you can learn a lot from Cliff and Claire. I mean, <laughs> the Huxtables, they let you know what's going on. <laughs> but Megan, she talked a lot about health and how our health is actually directly connected to the fact that God wants to use our bodies to work in us and through us in through him with his spirit. Mm -hmm. They're all connected. And so as we wait for our teachers to prep for the second half, let's share some of the ways that we can take next steps and get in the game here at Willow. You know, after almost a year of church online, we're so excited to gather in person for our weekend services. Some of our campuses have already opened and others are preparing to open and looking for volunteers to help open the doors, both figuratively and literally. We want to create an engaging and safe environment for our guests and kids. So if you're ready and able, we want to invite you to serve with us. Yes. Visit willowcreek.org slash welcome back to learn how to attend and volunteer at your Willow home. Yeah, that's so good. So, Joe, you know, another way we can make Willow feel like home is by joining a small group. Small groups are kicking off today. And we believe small groups are one way to make big church feel small, like small, like you and me. You know, you and me. we know each other, group. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we want every person that calls Willow Creek home to be connected in a small group community. If you aren't in a small group yet, guess what? It's not too late. Right now. Join one today. 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 Let's so go. visit willowcreek.org slash small groups to learn more and find a group. Albert just gave us a great perspective on how we steward our financial resources. The reality is when we give to Willow, we give through Willow. As we open our physical spaces, we have the opportunity to gather, worship, and grow in our faith. And your generosity helps make all of that possible. Thank you for faithfully giving back to God what he has entrusted to you. Visit willowcreek.org slash give to give today. Lauren, remember, it's not your money. It's not my money. I remember that. I remember it now. Yes. So, all right, Joe, it's time for us to head into the second half. In this half, we're covering the topics relationships and faith. So take it away, Albert. (laughs) I love hymns. Uh, Something about those old songs and the lyrical content, the verses, the refrains. One of my favorites growing up, my mom was the musician at our church. And honestly, we would sing this Uh, most often at funerals in times of loss. Um, But those times of loss were were marked with a great joy. Uh, We would sing, um, um, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That's got to be extra points for mm. singing. That's Megan ain't saying even, that's not Come fair. on. That's I, not fair. I mean, I, I ought to get the extra. That's a field goal to something. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about heaven. And it, it would always trigger my imagination to begin to think, what will it be like? 
Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 gives a little color, gives a little context, gives a little tone and tenor to what, what, what should shape us as we think about heaven. There's this image, there's this picture, and he says, listen to this, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every race, they're all going to be there together, standing around God's throne, declaring worthy is the lamb that was slain. This amazing vision of everybody coming together, oh, don't we need that now? Can't you tell, like, it seems like we're more divided now as people than, than ever in my lifetime, in my generation. We seem like we're so divided. Sometimes I think, even with Christians, what, what are we thinking? What do we think heaven is going to be like? Do we really think it's going to be a white section over there, a black section over there, an Asian section, a Latino section over there? It is not... Which y'all do know if it was a black section, the, mu- the music would be off the chain. We'd be up in there getting down and be like, Megan, girl, we going to the black section tonight. Come on with me. On. I'll give you a pass. Come on in here. <laughs> I, I think that um, we've got to reimagine heaven. And reimagining heaven means we've got to reimagine our now. Because here's the deal, friends. We can't stand around the throne if we're not willing to sit around the table relationships, and how we do life with one another. Matthew chapter 6, around verse 9, which is my second passage. Hmm. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, it, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer, and it's Jesus talking, but the first two words are so profound. He starts by saying, this is now then how you pray, our Father. Right there with those two words, we are engrafted into something that should revolutionize how we see, how we be, how we exist in the world. Those two words, our Father, it means that you and me, we got the same daddy that makes us spiritual siblings. And it's a big deal to God how his children treat one another. I'm telling you, I got Zoe, Bethany, Isaac, and Micah. I care very deeply and passionately about how they treat one another. If I care that much, can you imagine how much our Heavenly Father cares? Wow. About how we treat one another. This, this table, this table that we sit around as a people and as we do relationships, it should be marked with people that don't look alike, don't live alike, and don't vote alike. It should be marked with the diversity that is the fullness of the kingdom of God that we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It should be marked with that. And, our, if, and if heaven's going to be marked like that, I would argue our churches should be marked like that. Our communities, our neighborhoods, our table should be marked like that. I know what you're saying. The biggest problem is it's hard to get people that don't look alike, don't live alike, and don't vote alike to come together because usually, especially in this season, in this time, in this era, what's driving the table is offense. We call flags on each other. A, you offended me with your Facebook post. You offended, I can't believe you said that. And we got broken relationships and people experiencing and breakdown in community because everybody's offended because what's at the center of the table is offense. I'm offended about this and I can't believe you do this and I can't believe you say this. We let the politics offend us and separate us. Let me tell you something. We got to be not committed to the elephant, not committed to the donkey, but committed to the lamb. And we've got we to live beyond our offense. The problem is the center of our table is not fruit of the spirit, but it's fighting from the flesh. So our table, what we bring to the table is not fruit, we bring fight. And we're so used to fighting one another, and it matters how we treat one another. What should be at the center of our table is a red flag. 
That's pretty powerful, huh? <laughs> because, y'all, it's a bloodstained table. It's a table where because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we come together in brokenness. We come together in conflict. We come together in even in, in, <laughs> abuse, being mistreated. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because of the grace he gives me, out of the reservoir of that grace, he does it in me so that he might do it through me. In what relationships does the grace of God need to work through you? Some of you, your marriage is fractured. What does it mean to bring the grace of God to the center of the table and remove your offense from the center of the table? Some of you got family members that you haven't talked to. Some, I don't, where, where are the broken relationships that you need to invite the blood of Jesus Christ? The blood of Jesus Christ can cover the offense. So the blood needs to be at the center of the table. In the, in the center of the table, there's also therapy, there's counseling, there's accountability, there's responsibility. It's all those things. But if you start with offense and not the blood, you'll miss the fullness of the beauty of reconciliation. No, 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 no. Not cheap reconciliation. Deep reconciliation. Deep in the blood of the Lamb. I invite you. Make this a bloodstained table. And it'll be the table that changes your life. Faith. I thought about this topic a lot in which direction to go. And I knew it was urgent because back to Luke chapter 18, earlier on, it says in verse eight, Jesus, however, when the son of man comes, here's what he's looking for. Will he find faith on the earth? Hmm. That's what he's looking for. So I believe that it matters. And I thought about breaking down the word, talking about how it's not just belief, but it's also surrender. And then behavior is the outcome. It's not the thing that we try to do is behave. We look at who we believe in and then we ask ourselves what we need to surrender to live out our faith. So I thought about going that direction. We're not going to go that direction, although I just kind of did. But I kept thinking about what's most compelling to me is what was most compelling to Jesus. See, faith was oftentimes the thing that Jesus stopped to applaud. Mm. I see your faith. And it was the one thing that when he expected it, He called it out, O ye of little faith, where is your faith? See, Jesus cared a lot about faith. Mm. Are you living out your faith? What does faith look like to you? Did you surrender your life a long time ago? But like we've been discussing here, is it, have you surrendered the, the finances? Have you surrendered? Maybe you just surrendered your sin a long time ago. How about those gifts of yours? What about your time? This came to a head for me when I saw faith lived out in a way that I will never again, I believe, see it lived out through the life of a young man named Clayton. Clayton found out he had cancer at the age of seven. I'm good friends with his mom and heard the whole journey, the first two years of chemotherapy and then heard about how after the community praise, it was gone and everyone was rejoicing together. And then two years back, two years later, it comes back round two bone marrow transplant this time, cancer free at the end. And the whole community celebrates. We had faith, all the language. Mm. 
comes back a third time. Bone marrow transplant again. The whole community celebrates. Somewhere in the midst of that, this boy finds out who Jesus is, has a firm belief, surrenders his whole life, and then it changed how he went into round four. See, round four is when it came back his senior year, to which the doctor who'd been journeying with this faith-filled family for years had to look at the boy and go, Mm. this time, there's nothing we can do. And so the mom turns to Clayton and says, what do you want to do? He says, get me an audience and a microphone. So she gathers the local youth group. Clayton stands in front with his microphone and looks at them and says, my name's Clayton McDonald and I found out I have three months to live. Don't pity me. See, I pity you because you think you have forever. So this life you have, you're wasting it trying to get people impressed with you. I pity you because you're not living today like it's your last. You're not living a life of faith. You're simply content with belief. I have these beliefs about Jesus, but it doesn't affect my life. That's the purpose of this whole series, by the way. It's to say, game on, bring it. Let's actually live this faith that we profess. Let's stop just professing it. It's time to live. So this boy stands up. Then he tells him who he believes in. He talks about the gospel, goes through the Romans road, presents it, and then asks if people want to surrender their lives to And to his amazement, 30 students just start walking forward. So he goes back to his mom. He says, get me a bigger audience and a bigger microphone. She's like, why a bigger microphone? He's like, oh, just, you know, uh. And so they get the bigger audience, thousand students from the local college this time, same exact speech. Hi, my name's Clayton McDonald. I found out I have three months to live, but don't pity me. See, because I pity you because you think you have forever. You think you have forever. So this breath you're taking in even today, Will, are you paying attention? The breath you're breathing, are you wasting it? Trying to get people to like you, notice you, appreciate you, or are you living the faith you profess? A firm conviction that Jesus is who he says he was and he will be forever. Mm -hmm. Jesus is that we can believe in him. We don't have to believe in ourselves anymore. No wonder we're so anxious if it's all up to us. He said, no, 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 believe in me and then lay down your life. Lay down, yes, your sin, bring it to him. Even repentance is grace. And so he gives this speech. But the truth is he didn't just give the speech. He lived the rest of his life. And he did pass four months later. But in those four months, when the, when the local youth group announced the missions trip, he's like, I'm in. They're like, no, 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 you have. And he's like, I'm in. I gave my life. I surrendered everything. And he shows up. And I heard a st- I've heard so many stories about this boy, about him showing up. And when, when they were on the missions trip, after they built the house, they went to buy hammocks. And first friend went to buy a hammock. How much for a hammock? Guy's like, 10 bucks. He's like, 10 bucks for a hammock. Friend number two is like, how much for a hammock? The guy's like, 15. He's like, uh, 10. 10 bucks for a hammock. Clayton walks up. How much for a hammock? The guy's like, 10. Clayton's like, here's 20. Do you know Jesus? Guy responds, are you him? And then all the students get back to the bus and they go, where's Clayton? Someone goes, oh, professing his faith again. And of course, yes, he did. Cause he got to talk to this guy about the fact that this guy has more to provide for his family than just an income that day. That guy can bring life eternal. Why? How? Through faith, belief that leads to surrender, which then transforms your life. Mm. Is your faith transforming your life? Or is it just a set of beliefs? Or is it just a sermon that you agree with? This boy, knowing Clayton, changed my life because I heard how Clayton lived and I even got to hear about how he died. See, when his nose started to bleed, his mom says, hey, what do you want to do? And he says, "Um, invite everyone I love into this house. 
And she started crying because she goes, Clayton, they wouldn't fit because you loved everyone. Church, how about you? So they all kind of pile in. And at some point in the night, before he passed, which he did four months later after the the fourth diagnosis, he looked at everyone and he kind of laughed a little. They played games. And then at one point he got real serious. And he talked about his, his faith. He shared who Jesus is, talked about a life of surrender, and then talked about how it transformed his life. And then he talked about the faith that he saw in everyone else. He says, Here I, here's how I see faith lived in you. And he went around to each of his friends. And then he simply said this, I'm all out of breath, but here's what I want to leave you with. And Willa, what I want to leave you with as we kick into this new year, this new series, this new life of purpose, and I'll even ask this new faith was with his final words, which was this. If you call yourself a Christian and you're still breathing, you got work to do. Church, do you have a firm conviction that Jesus is who he says he is, died the death you deserve and rose on your behalf to give you life? Then surrender your life, surrender your finances, surrender everything, surrender your health, Surrender your relationships. It's not about you anymore. And rather, it becomes a life transformed. How? Through faith, so that when Jesus returns, he'll find it in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even now we've heard all these topics. And I don't want these just to be things we listen to and not respond to. So Lord, would you bring to mind an area of our life, our finances, our health, a certain relationship, or even living out our faith, what we believe? Would you bring one to mind? And with the help of your spirit, would you help us courageously respond so people can see you through our bodies, see you through our lives? But Lord, we're gonna need your help. Have your way in us, we pray. And all God's children said in unison, amen. 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 Thank you, Megan and Albert. Thank you guys so much. And we've heard four great sermons. And the greatest sermon, the, the most important sermon, is the one the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. It's our prayer that your spiritual eyes would be open, that your spiritual ears would be open, that your your heart would be uh, open to what God would say to you so that these sermons can be something that moves beyond just a weekend and on into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all throughout the week, that they would infect all these different areas of your life, that what we say on the weekend would matter throughout the week. That's our prayer, that you would take your next step with God because of what you've heard today. Now, maybe your next step has to do with relationships, or maybe it has to do with your health, or maybe it has to do with uh, your relationship with God. Maybe it has to do with finances. Whatever your next step is, it's our prayer that you'd take it. Willow, game on.